So I've been in the middle, or I am in the middle, of a two-week uh, kind of mini-series that I've called In Between because it had to do with um, being delivered from one place. Uh, I've been using the Israelites coming out of Egypt and moving towards the Promised Land. And then they, they came out of Egypt, were delivered and rescued, and they made this journey into the Promised Land. And um, sort of the area between, the time and space between that we've been focused on. And last week we talked more about the past. This week I want to shift and I want to focus on the future. And in order to do that, I want to be real vulnerable. Um, and if you're uncomfortable with authenticity and vulnerability, you're going to have to buckle your seatbelt a minute. Um, because I got a story. And one of the things that I've begun to realize, um, the Lord has really uh, convicted me, to be frank, in the last three months um, of some tremendous fear in my own life. And I, in some ways, I'm um, stuck have been getting unstuck, but I've been recognizing some stuckness on, on moving forward, some fear to move forward. And in order to fully understand that, I want to rewind, rewind the clock a little bit. Um, I turned 35 the end of this month. Um, yeah, you believe that? Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Touche. <clears throat> when I was uh, 19 years old, I was uh, walking with Christ pretty powerfully. I was over at UNCW, and I was a student leader uh, for a wonderful group that I have a lot of respect for called Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, and lo and behold, um, some people that were on staff with Crusade from another city, they came to UNCW. And... Um, they began a sort of a message, and they began mentoring all the staff members, and um, they really pursued me. Um, I was young, and I was a student leader. I was speaking for Crusade pretty regularly. And uh, they came after me. They pursued me, and um, I was uncomfortable with some of what was being taught. And I went to my leaders uh, three times, to be exact, and I said, I'm really uncomfortable with what's being taught. I don't like this. I don't like the direction it's going. <clears throat> and, um, but my leaders, being older and wiser, they were in their mid-30s with kids and um, talked me out of it. I was 19. I didn't, you know, didn't know a whole lot. Um, thought I did, but I didn't. And lo and behold, um, as time went on, I began to meet with this group of people. I began to get more invested, and they began to sort of speak over my life. Michael, you're going to marry this person. Michael, you're going to have a ministry that looks like this. Michael, you're going to do this and accomplish this in the kingdom. And I actually committed to marry someone before I ever saw them. As I stand before God, I committed to marry someone before I ever laid eyes on them. Because one person said, Michael, you're called to marry this person. And there was 26 people that corroborated that story. And what began to develop was a cult. I don't use that lightly, and Crusade eventually severed with it and sent them on their merry way. I was part of the group that they sent on their merry way. There's two clinical psychologists in this city at least who you could go to and they would verify that. Dr. Jerry Sloan and Dr. Scott Bennett would have no problem telling you it was a cult. And I got more and more entrenched 
in this thing. And what was a few clicks off dead center? I don't know if you know anything about a compass, but I, I like the sail. And when you're sailing, you, you often ride a compass heading if you're in the open ocean. And if you can't see anything else, it's all about the compass heading. And if you're a few clicks off and you cross an ocean, man, you miss your mark by hundreds of miles. But we started a few clicks off, and then things got worse and worse and worse. We're ultimately headed, I'm going to pause just a second, we're ultimately headed towards Numbers 13. I'm going to come back to my story, but I just want to tell you where we're headed. We're heading towards Numbers 13. You can go ahead and take your Bible and turn there if you want. But I want to talk this morning about the 12 spies that were sent into the land. You probably know this story. We're going to read it in a few minutes. But of those 12 spies, there was 10 that were afraid and didn't want to move forward, and there was two that were courageous and wanted to move forward. Got that? I'm guessing that most of you all uh, would probably look up here and go, oh, Michael, I'm sure you identify with the two. Not so. Not so. I identify with the ten fearful ones. And I've found myself more and more um, stuck and afraid of moving forward because of the mistakes I've made looking back. You follow me? As I got into this cult, we got deeper and deeper. I was in this thing seven years. Seven years. And it got worse and worse. And I'm not going to go into details. There's still people in this city that I, that I can't even share. It would, it would uncover things. But needless to say, God began to deliver me. I had a couple of open visions. I began to fast and pray. And he supernaturally, through no human agent, brought me out of this dark place. Dark horrible, immoral, ugly place. I come out. I haven't been in touch with my family for seven years at that time. I hadn't even seen them in five. I come out, and I, I began to set some boundaries with the cult, and they, um, uh, they, they forced me out. They kicked me out forcibly. And at this point, I have two children, because I married somebody. Two little babies. Not even one and not even two. And I'm out on the street. I actually went home first to my grandmother sitting right here, Memes Mattis, who I called first. I'd begun to think horrible things about my family. And I went to her house and I reconnected with my parents and life began to move forward. But I was so, and in some ways still have elements of this brokenness where I am afraid to move forward because I'm afraid I'm going to fail like that again. And what happened is as time went on, uh, the, the kids grew. I, I, I won joint legal custody of the kids. And in time, I met a beautiful gal named Abby, and we got married. This is my Abby. We'll be married five years this year. But here's where I want, I want to bring you into our life just for a second. I want you to just feel a few things. And, and it's why I feel in some ways stuck in fear to move forward. We have these two precious kids that live in two worlds. They go back and forth. If they please this world, they displease this world. If they please this world... They displease this world. If they please mom, they feel like they displease dad. And then you got Abby. And then we have Abby who is 
um, making all the sacrifices of a full biological mother with none of the rewards. Just think about that for a minute. There's this schism that happens. We have a beautiful family relationship, and some of you all come up to us because of our Instagram photos or our Facebook photos, or you see us together, and it's beautiful. We have a great, great marriage. We have a fabulous family. But there is pain that exists in our family dynamic, and I can't fix it. See, I'm, I'm like a fixer. I'm a changer. I'm a, like, let's see the future, and let's, let's rally everybody, and let's go for it. And I can't change it. I watch this pain in the kids. I watch this pain in Abby on a day-to-day basis. And it's like, there's nothing that can be done. The kids are going through a phase. Eve's going to be in middle school next year. I won't be able to talk like this too much longer because she'll be sitting in here. But the kids have been in a phase where they've heard some things on this side and they're not saying, I love you to us anymore. We can, I can go back and show you pictures when they were kids. I love you, Daddy. I love you, Abby. I just All the time. And they're in a phase where they, they, they can't say that because they're afraid of displeasing this side. What's happened inside of me is out of fear that I'm going to reproduce the past, that I'm going to make another mistake on that magnitude. I've been stuck. You following me? There's like fear that I didn't even know I had, insecurities that I didn't even know I had, and I found myself identifying more with the ten who were like, oh no, we can't go forward. They'll kill us when we go into the land. We're heading towards Numbers 13. We have a beautiful, beautiful life, but it's got some pain in it. I remember when I went and asked um, Abby's dad if I could marry her. I've never been so, I don't know what I was. But, but just let's be honest, I don't get out of bed in the morning and dream about Eve marrying a guy who was in a cult, been divorced, and has two kids. You should be honest about that. <laughs> if any of you all have kids or grandkids, you would quickly echo my sentiments, right? I remember going and asking her dad, and this family that's loved us and welcomed us like their own, loved these two kids like their own. It's been a beautiful, beautiful story of God's redemption. But what I've uncovered here recently is this deep fear in me, this deep-seated stuckness where I am afraid of what's up there. In some ways, I've made it past my guilt and my shame of looking back. It still creeps up. I think that stuff's like an onion, you know? You get one layer off and another one comes up and you just keep peeling that thing. And I think that's just life. But what I've begun to see is I've, as I've been able to turn away from the past and I've begun to look forward, I am so afraid that I'm going to make another mistake that it has caused me to fix my boots in the ground. I don't know where you all are today exactly. And I don't know what situation you've come in here with today. But I know that many of us in this life get stuck, like me, get stuck identifying more with the ten we're about to read about out of fear of moving forward. Maybe it's for you, it's the fear of the unknown. 
Maybe for you there's something in your past like abuse or divorce or a mom and dad that abandoned you that's resulting in you being afraid to move forward. Maybe there's been sickness or loss. Maybe even you've lost a loved one and you're stuck. You, you realize you're stuck and you cannot move towards the promises of God. Wherever you come from today, I want us to open the Word together in Numbers 13. And let's take a look at some people. And then I want to bring us to a point where I'm going to ask us a question. I'm going to challenge you all with a question and ask you to dig deep over this next week in your own life. I'm going to start in Numbers chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, this is verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So Moses grabs these leaders, he pulls them together, and then he begins to send them out. I'm going to skip down to verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev into the hill country and see what the land is like. I want to know if the people are strong, are they weak, are they few, are they many? What kind of land is it? Is it good land? Is it bad? What kind of towns do they have? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or is it poor? Are there trees in it? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up, verse 21, and they explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob towards uh, Lebo Hamath. And they went through the Negev and they came to Hebron where Ahimon, Shisha, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Now the descendants of Anak were giants. And probably Goliath, who you read about a few books later, this big old tall guy with lots of toes and lots of fingers, he's probably one of the descendants of Anak. So they see these big guys. And then verse 23, When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. And two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. I want you to think, we have, um, we have a little house right over here off of Masonboro Loop, and we have some grapevines that grow in the backyard. Um, they're just muscadine, I think. And they grow these little um, clusters of grapes. I certainly don't need to carry my grapes on a pole between two grown men. I don't know what kind of grapes these were, but they're obviously either a massive cluster or they're massive grapes to be carried on a pole between two grown men. So it's obviously a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Verse 24, that place was called the Valley of Eshcol because the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. You know, Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. Remember that? And at the end of those 40 days, he was tested. He passed the test, and he was released into the most powerful ministry the world has ever seen. Moses was in the wilderness 40 years. At the end of 40 years, he was tested. There was a burning bush, and he turned aside. What if he didn't turn aside? He passed the test. He turned aside. And now we come to these Israelites. There's 12 guys who have gone into this land for 40 days. Verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. 
And there they reported to them and the whole assembly, and they showed them the fruit of the land. So I envision Moses and Aaron and the leaders up front. I envision all the people gathered, the entire assemblies before them, and these 12 guys come in, and they start showing off the fruit of their trip, telling about the land, right? They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And here is its fruit. And verse 28 says, but. You guys know what happens when there's but in a sentence, right? If you have kids or grandkids, you know that. Oh, we did it, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but. You put that but in a sentence, and everything that happened before that but is just gone. It was a great land. It was flowing with milk and honey. There's these gargantuan grapes and pomegranates and figs, and we loved it. But I want to move forward. I'm so in love with my wife. I'm thrilled with my kids. I want to move forward in ministry. But I failed so much in the past. Verse 28, the people who live there are powerful. Now remember, this is the 12 spies talking to Moses and the entire assembly. The people who live there are powerful and their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw these giants, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Verse 30, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. You know, one of my most favorite things historically about myself has been my boldness. It's been my confidence. And it's been humbling for me to realize that I'm stuck or have been stuck in some measure of fear out of fear that I'm going to make this same mistake that would affect so many people. You can't imagine sitting at a table with your sister or your brother or your parents, or maybe you can, but for the first time in seven years and looking at the pain in their eyes about what you did to them, what your absence did to them. When I drop my kids off Sunday night at 6 p.m., I sit in my car more often than not and tears stream down and drip off my chin when nobody's there. Because I'm a part-time dad. And I go home, and Abby and I are just grumpy Sunday nights, if we're honest. It's a painful night for us. There's fear in me of moving forward because of what I did back there. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him, this is Caleb talking about, said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. There's their fear. And they spread out among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw there of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, the giants. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. You know, here you see the Israelites, I do this so often, but taking the word of men over the word of God. Listening to people instead of listening to what God has called you to. I remind us, the Israelites just walked through the ocean with walls of water on either side of them on dry ground. 
and then turned around and watched the entire armies of Pharaoh drowned in a tidal wave. They watched the great wonders that happened in Egypt, the terrible plagues. They'd seen God move with this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. They've been fed every day with quail and manna. And yet when tested, they go, we can't do what God's called us to do. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be one of those. I want to find my way out of that little group of ten, and I want to find my way into that group of two, and I want to get unstuck, and I want to go, God has called us here. We can stand on the Word of God. We can believe the Word of God. Let's go. You know, there's a, <clears throat> a little tiny book that I love. A guy named Len Schlesinger. I don't know if I can say his last name right. Schlesinger. He wrote it. Um, he's a professor up at Harvard. He's in the Harvard Business School. Brilliant, brilliant man, way more brilliant than I am. And he embarked on a multi-year study of um, entrepreneurial leaders, great entrepreneurs. So he looked at Warren Buffett and Steve Jobs all the way down, just of all ranks and files, of all financial class and background. And his whole purpose in this was to look for the secret X factor that defined entrepreneur leaders and made them successful. You know what he found? There wasn't one. At the end of his whole study, at the end of this multi-year thing, at the end of all of his interviews and all of his research, what he found, he titled his book, Action Trumps Everything. What he found is that people who succeed in life, almost all of them had failed. Not once, not twice, not three times, but they failed and they'd get up and try again. And they'd fail, and they'd get up and try again. And they'd fail, and they'd get up and try again. And one of those times, they hit it big. The secret to success in business, in America, according to this guy, according to this brilliant mind up in Harvard, the secret, and then he made it parallel to all of life, the secret to success in life is not getting stuck, but continuing to move forward. is that fascinating? Chapter 14, verse 1. That night all the members of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. I don't know how many people there were, maybe a million, but they they wept aloud. So there's weeping all over the camp. Verse 2, and all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Are you ever a grumbler? Can I just be honest? I grumble sometimes. Where's Al Cimino? Is he in the room? Al Cimino. True story. I just sat with Al and grumbled at him. I really did I get frustrated. <laughs> we are truly a family church, are we not? So here are the Israelites, verse 2, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. If only we had died in Egypt. And then get this, wait for it. Or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? We get super dramatic, right? I was a little dramatic out, wasn't I? <laughs> Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. 
here it is. This, this almost blows my mind, except I do the same thing. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader. Let's pick somebody that will lead us back through the desert and go back to Egypt. Let's go back to where we were slaves. If I'm totally honest with you, in the two months after I got out of my cult, my kids were being taken away. I was almost assured I would never see my children again. I was being falsely accused by an entire group of people, and I couldn't override their false accusations. And I thought to myself, it might be easier. I didn't want to go back, but it might be easier if I just turned around and went back. It might feel not so hard. I might not lose my kids. You know, we tend to read these things and we tend to go, oh, that's not us. I'm part of the two. I'm one of the courageous ones. Not if you're like me. Verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly. I love this humility. Love this humility. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and He will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. When I first got out of my mess, I literally pulled a calendar out, and I marked down, I passed the three-hour mark, but I marked down three hours, three days, three weeks, three months, three years, and then seven years. And I figured if I could just get to three days. And then I figured if I can just make it to three weeks. I can just get there. If I can just keep going. I dropped out of college. had to go back to UNCW and finish my degree didn't have a job, started my little business back up, was fighting like crazy just to see my kids. I could just make it through three months. I could just make it through three years. My last mark on my calendar was seven years. And guess what? I hit it. God's healing and His his redemption in our lives is so beautiful. But the scars are not without their pain. And we have become better people. And our marriage is stronger because of it. You guys know this, but hardship either makes you turn against the Lord or turn towards the Lord. Hardship in your marriage is going to make you press closer together or it's going to make you push apart. And if we're honest in our marriage and in our relationships with God, it's done both. But in the end, where we sit now, we thank God. We just did this, sitting in our living room the other night. We thank God for what He has allowed because of what it is forming in us and what it is forming in our marriage.
You know, I meet frequently with people from the younger generation. I'm a millennial, if you believe that. Uh, the millennials were 1980 um, and on, and I was born two days before 1981. Three days, something like that. I'm not good with calendars. But regardless, I meet with millennials frequently, and um, I've met with people recently, and they'll sit down with me and say something like, I want to be an artist. Awesome. Have you done any art? No. <laughs> Have you studied any artist? No. Have you interned with an artist? No. Have you thought about buying a canvas? No. Sometimes the younger generation can be dreamers and stuck in their fear of moving forward. Recently, somebody that I had met with eight or nine months ago came back and said, just started interning for an artist. Yes. I sat down with people before and they'll go, I want to start a coffee shop. And I'm like, awesome. You have a business plan? No. Do you have any idea how much it's going to take to start a coffee shop financially? No. Have you ever been a barista at a coffee shop? No. Do you know anybody that has a coffee shop? No. I've done this with photography, with uh, all kinds of different things with this younger generation. But getting them unstuck and courageous enough to take the first step, even if it seems silly, even if it seems dumb, is so important. Every journey is one step at a time. I want you to think with me a second. What would the Israelites have done sitting in that desert when the ten came back, the twelve came back, and they showed them the pomegranates and the grapes and the figs, what would the Israelites have done that day if they had 50% more courage? You think they'd have crossed the Jordan? Gone into the promised land? I do. Instead, they wandered around in the desert for 40 years until that entire older generation died and then they entered the promised land. I don't want to die in the desert. 